Welcome to BrainStuff from How Stuff Works. Hi, BrainStuff. Lauren Vogelbaum here. I wanted to mention here at the top that today's episode deals with the subject of suicide to give you the opportunity to skip this one if you would like. And hey, take care of yourself, okay? In preparing for today's episode, we spoke with one of Utah's top gun lobbyists, Clark Apashian. He never thought that he'd have a colleague at the Harvard School of Public Health. Apashian is also chair of the Utah Shooting Sports Council and a certified instructor for Utah's concealed carry permit. In his experience, public health advocates have been liberal eggheads who sat squarely on the opposite side of the political divide over gun control. Apashian told us, all we'd hear from them is, lock up your guns, get rid of your guns, guns are bad. And all they heard from us was, guns are good, more guns, we need greater access to guns. But then he met Kathy Barber, a suicide prevention expert with the Harvard Injury Control Research Center, who shared a simple yet startling statistic. In Utah, 86% of all gun deaths are suicides. Apashian had dedicated his life to firearm training, safety, and advocacy, but he had no idea that the vast majority of gun-related deaths in his home state, and more than two-thirds of gun deaths nationwide, weren't murders or hunting accidents, but suicide. Apashian says, I had an epiphany. All the clamoring on both sides over homicides and illegal use of firearms and accidents, the biggest bang for the buck if you want to decrease the number of gun deaths is going to be suicide. Nearly 45,000 Americans die from suicide every year, and more than half of those deaths come from guns. States with more guns per capita, like Utah, Montana, Idaho, and Colorado, have higher suicide rates— Not because gun owners are more likely to suffer from mental illness, but because suicide attempts with guns are nearly always fatal. That's why Barber at Harvard created the Means Matters campaign to explain that access to a gun in a moment of suicidal crisis can be the difference between life and death. The decision to commit suicide happens surprisingly fast, with 24% of suicide survivors saying only five minutes passed between the moment they decided to end things and the suicide attempt itself. In that five minutes, people may reach for the most lethal means they can get their hands on. If it's a gun, the suicide attempt will be fatal between 85 and 90% of the time. Other means aren't nearly as lethal. An overdose of pills, for example, is deadly in only 1.5% of suicide attempts. Research shows that restricting access to a gun during an acute emotional crisis saves lives and gives people a chance to get help. 90% of suicide survivors do not go on to die by suicide. But for suicide prevention advocates like Barber to get the Means Matters message into the communities hardest hit by gun-related suicides, they had to cross a gaping political and cultural divide. When gun store owners and Second Amendment supporters hear words like restricting access to guns, they think of government intrusion, more laws, and outsiders coming in to take their guns away. We also spoke with Robert Gebbia, the CEO of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, or AFSP, which is the largest such organization in the country. He freely admits that neither he nor any of his state chapter directors could walk into a gun store or firing range and start talking about the deadly relationship between firearms and suicide. He said, We have zero credibility. We don't know the language. Groups like the AFSP needed partners on the inside who had that kind of credibility. In 2009, Barber helped launch the Gun Shop Project in New Hampshire, a two-way collaboration between public health professionals and firearms dealers to educate the gun-owning community on what they can do to keep friends and loved ones safe in times of emotional crisis. 
Taking their lead from the Gunshot Project, now in more than a dozen states, Gebbia and the ASFP joined forces with the National Shooting Sports Foundation, the nationwide trade association for the firearms industry, to raise awareness of what gun retailers and gun owners can do to identify the warning signs of mental stress and keep guns temporarily out of reach of people in crisis. Gebbia said, the partnership gives us both access and credibility. All of a sudden, our volunteers in that community are welcomed into that gun shop, and we've already provided materials to 8,000 retailers across the country. Jacqueline Clark owns the Bristlecone Shooting, Training, and Retail Center outside of Denver. She's worked closely with the Colorado chapter of the Gun Shop Project to make sure that the pamphlets and training materials addressing suicide prevention contain the type of language that connects with her customers rather than alienating them. Clark said, A lot of the mental health messaging tends to come from the left, and hardcore Second Amendment people are always worried that they're trying to take their guns away or recommending that they surrender them and never getting them back. Clark says that 99% of the people who frequent her gun range and retail store are responsible firearm owners who come in for a training class or to ask the staff a question because, quote, they want to do a good job. The suicide prevention message that resonates with them is something called the 11th Commandment. Any gun owner who's taken a basic safety course knows about the Ten Commandments of Firearm Safety, things like always pointing the gun in a safe direction and keeping your finger off the trigger until you're ready to shoot. Barber at Harvard said, The Eleventh Commandment is to be alert to signs of suicide risk in friends and family and help keep guns from them until they've recovered. Once you say it, it makes sense to people, especially if they understand that you're not attacking guns. Potion in Utah doesn't necessarily see suicide prevention as a gun safety issue. To him, gun safety is avoiding accidents by teaching both adults and children how to use and store a gun safely. With suicide, Potion says, we're talking about purposefully grabbing a gun to do harm to ourselves. It's a completely different realm. He thinks a more effective suicide prevention message follows the model used by campaigns against drunk driving— if your friends had too much to drink, Aposhian says, you take their keys and do whatever it takes to not let them drive home because you care about them. Same thing, he says, if a friend is going through a painful divorce, just lost a job, or is experiencing symptoms of PTSD. You go to their house, put your arm around them, tell them you love them and are worried about them, and suggest that you babysit their guns for a few days, not take their guns away, but put them in temporary storage outside the home. The ultimate goal of suicide prevention partnerships between public health advocates and the firearms community is to make gun owners aware of the issue and to feel comfortable having those hard conversations. There are no new laws being proposed or restrictions placed on access. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention has run models showing that if half of Americans who buy a gun between now and 2025 get a pamphlet about suicide prevention and only one in five of them actually read it, it will still save 9,000 lives. Today's episode was written by Dave Ruse and produced by Tyler Klang. If you're in a bad place, I know how lonely it can feel, but you're not alone. Reach out to a friend or family member or Google suicide prevention to find a number you can call or even text or chat if you hate phones as much as I do. And of course, for more on this and lots of other topics, visit our home planet, howstuffworks.com. Howstuffworks.com.